Welcome to MTC Talks. I am joined today by MTC Associate Director Sarah Goods. Sarah, thank you for joining me. Thank you. And we're here to talk about all things season 2018. So Sarah, you'll be directing three very different plays next year. So I'd like to break our chat up into three sections, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. Beginning with A Doll's House Part 2. So my very first question goes back to Henrik Ibsen's original play, A Doll's House. When did you first see that play or come into contact with that script? Well, interestingly, I first saw that play here at MTC back in 1998 with Rachel Griffiths in the main part, um, in the role of Nora. And um, it was wonderful. I think it was on at the Fairfax and I was living down in Melbourne, um, studying at VCA, doing the directing course. And um, and I remember I remember the production vividly, um, and she was incredible in the in in that main role. So when um, Brett told me about the play, I was um, really excited because I've just moved down to Melbourne um, to join MTC, and I thought it was a great kind of coming together of uh, storytelling. Amazing, a bit of a full circle yeah. experience for you. So the the play, A Doll's House Part 2, it's a sort of coda to the original. Lucas Nath is the playwright and the story picks up 15 years after Nora has left her family at the end of Ibsen's play and it draws some conclusions about what these characters have done and been up to in the interim. It's set at the end of the 19th century but the language is modern and Nath has contemporised a lot of their mannerisms and behaviours. Can you tell us a bit about how you'll be approaching this with your direction? Well, it's interesting because um, the play starts with the great knock on the door, you know, so the, uh, the original ends with the slamming of the door and this one starts with the knocking on the door. And, um, and he sort of indicated that, you know, it's sort of roughly period. But we sort of imagine that Nora will come in in, in, a, in a period costume because it's how she looks is really important indicator of how well she's done in those 15 years. Um, and so the, the, the modernising of the language sort of slowly evolves in. It doesn't, it doesn't start with a jar. And we've been talking a lot about how the journey of the play as a whole is sort of a peeling away of layers. And I think with that, the, the language becomes more and more modern as the play goes on. But it's very, very beautifully written. He's written it... Um, you know, I, I keep using the word, the language is very of the earth. Um, it's very muscular. It's very, um, very rhythmical, you know. So the rhythm inside it and the and the way it's laid out on the page is very much about rhythm. Um, so having, you know, incredible actors uh, sort of tackle that language, it's it's just going to be something we play with on the floor. And But I think they're going to love... Um, playing with that language. Speaking of actors, you have Marta Dusseldorf in the lead role. Can you tell us a little about your cast and what you're looking forward to about working with them? Well, I've always wanted to work um, with Marta. I think she's um, an incredible performer. And um, we were actually sort of know each other from years ago um, when we lived around the corner from each other 
in um, when she was still at the STC acting company. So I'd seen her in quite a few shows there, particularly um, War of the Roses that Benedict Andrews directed. And um, she has this incredible um, muscularity in her performance. She's very strong. She's very, very intelligent and, um, and fearless on stage. I think, and um, and so she's actually also very funny, and she's um, in her f um, TV um, roles. You know, people would know her from Janet King and um, and a place to call home. She's quite often cast in very high status um, as characters, uh, journalists or judges, or um, but I've seen her on stage you know, m make me laugh harder than I have before. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to um, finding the comedy in this with her and, um, and you know, being able to play with an incredible text with, with great actors. Greg Stone I haven't worked with before, but um, I've heard so much about him and, um, and think he's just such a, a generous and beautiful performer. Um, and I think the two of them together will be incredible. Fantastic. Well, I have a bit more of a political question for you. Ibsen wrote this play in 1879, before the two waves of feminism of the 20th century, and it was written at a time when leaving your children was more or less unheard of, but there's still a great gender disparity when it comes to leaving children in marriage breakdowns. In 2017, it's seemingly less common for women to leave their children in a marriage. Why do you think this is and do you think Nora has something to say about this? Um, I don't think she does have something to say about it directly. Um, and I don't think the playwright does either. I don't think he's consciously gone to write a feminist play about feminism. Um, of course it is about it. It can't not be about it. Um, but what, what, I, what I love about the character of Nora is that everyone... I remember seeing it when I saw it in 1998. Um, you know, your your assumption was always that she would walk out that daughter inevitable death. And what he's very cleverly done is made her very successful. And so all of the things that we would assume happened to her didn't happen to her. And she actually um, won, you know. She, 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 she leaves, she becomes a very successful writer, earns a lot of money, has the independence, lives this... Um, dream that you know women actually had to fight for for a very long time to achieve um, and so she's in her mind at the beginning of the play made a very clear decision that she she left the children and part of that was a, a very difficult decision she had to make but she didn't look back on it um, she had to she did the only thing that was really an option for her at that time and therefore she she doesn't allow herself the sentimental kind of you know uh, opportunity to think about it or to feel sorry for her or for them she's made the decision and she's she's dealing with the consequences of that decision which she believes is that they won't want to have anything to do with her because she had nothing to do with them so um I don't think you know I would be giving it away if we talked about what happens in the play but um I think she she's made a decision and she stands by it um it's I think it's a really interesting topic about women leaving their children. I think it's a, I, I've been in around it with quite a few other plays and I sort of at one point came to the conclusion that maybe there's some stories that we don't want to tell and one of them is we don't really like telling the story of 
mothers leaving their children because we all had mothers or we all want a mother or and and if we have told them it's been like Sophie's choice where she, she couldn't decide between the two so she left both of them but um, I, I guess generally it's very hard to empathize with a female character who leaves her children because people judge her they still do today as much as they did back then I think Let's talk about Astro Man. This is a beautiful script from New Zealand playwright Albert Bells and this will be its world premiere at MTC next year. What can you tell us about this play? Well, I heard about this play um, a few years ago when it had been on at the playwriting conference and everyone was talking about it. Um, um, Hunter Page had uh, read the role of Jim, Jimmy, and um, everyone had talked about how beautiful it was and what a huge heart it had and um, what a great piece it was. And I was always, I, I rang, um, who did I ring? I rang someone, I think it was at ATYP, and asked them for a copy of the script and I'd read it. Um, but there wasn't an opportunity to do it up in Sydney. I think the fact that it's set in Geelong makes it a very particular Melbourne story. So when I got the job down here and I came down, I asked about you know whether the company had considered doing it and I think it it had ha- it had sort of been on the circuit but no one had sort of picked it up so I was incredibly keen um, to do it because I lived in Ocean Grove which is just out of Geelong in the early 80s or late 70s and um, and I remember roller skating in Geelong um, every Saturday morning so um, you know he says the play is very much a love letter to the 80s and um, and it's a coming of age story um, and he's he's just written some beautiful characters and and created these very unlikely friendships between you know an older Greek man and and this this young boy, um, and it's 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 very simply a heartbreaking but beautiful, funny, cheeky piece at the same time. It's a great description. Mm. Well, I wanted to ask what you were looking forward to about exploring this era and this setting on stage. It's personal to you. What was it like growing up in that time? Well, I only lived there for a year, but I, uh, there's a great, I mean, you know, part of it's sort of through the eyes of nostalgia, but I don't want it to be a nostalgic piece. I don't think that's what Albert's written necessarily. It, it's sort of more a celebration of it and of a time where things were... No, they just felt a bit looser, you know. Um, the music and the sort of fashion and these new things springing up in childhood seemed quite kind of uh, loose, you know. You could sort of get lost a bit more. Um, and um, and I think I think it's also what's great about um, that period, particularly for the character of Jim Jimmy, is that he's a really really smart kid. And school just doesn't keep up with his mind, whereas he discovers the local arcade, um, video game arcade, and all of the games in there like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong kind of really capture his imagination and how 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 his mind works. So um, it's it's setting it at a time where this technology was at its you know, it was being born. And what's wonderful is that you watch it kind of arriving and meeting this young boy's brain and, um, and this, you know, the celebration of these two things hitting each other um, is, is really terrific to watch. It will be a very fun piece mm. in the rehearsal room and on stage, I'm sure. But, the, yeah, the hero protagonist, 
GM Brawa Jimmy is being played by Camille Ellis, who we all watched in Macbeth this year. Can you tell us a bit about Camille and your cast so far for Astro Man? Oh, Camille, well, he's, I've been, my kids are obsessed with um, Nowhere Boys. It's such a terrific TV series and they love it and, um, and I've watched him on that. But he also did Bushwhacked. Which, um, which I used to watch as well. And he has such a beautiful kind of open channel of a storyteller. Um, and I saw that in Macbeth as well. He's got such a lovely presence on stage and, um, and such a great energy. Um, super smart as well, um, which made him perfect for, um, for the role of Jimmy. And so it, the story is of Jimmy and his twin brother, Sonny. And Sonny's being played by Callan Tassone. He sent in a video uh, audition and was just unbelievable, um, incredibly funny, incredibly warm, and um, y- y- yeah, you don't see it very often, but just blew blew us away. Um, and so uh, Elaine Crombie is one of my favourite actors. She's uh, terrific, um, and she just she recently did um, Black Showgirls and. Um, and she's done a lot of TV work, but um, I worked with her quite a few years ago in a workshop and I've been wanting to work with her ever since. Final question for Astro Man. Yep. A new work. What is the best thing about directing a new work? The best thing about uh, directing new work is that it's never been done before. So you you tend to have a much closer relationship with the writer and um, I find that it generally creates an atmosphere amongst the cast and the creatives of r- really engaging with bringing this story to uh, life on stage for the first time. So people tend to um, just offer a lot more. People people make really great offers and and you really know that if something isn't working, you can talk to the writer and make an offer about another way it could possibly work. Whereas when you've got a set play and it's been done before very successfully, the argument it is, well, that it's worked before. So you have to find the solution to make it work. The trick is not to try and, the trick is to try and solve what the writer wants and has intended. Um, and, um, but but there, there tends to be a creative kind of space around new work that I find really enjoyable. Well, finally, we need to talk about the children. This is a really powerful drama. It's the kind of story that comes up every now and then and really packs a punch. I cried when I read it. Mm. Um, but it's also very funny. Yeah. Uh, Lucy Kirkwood, we all saw Chimerica. She is a really powerful voice in England at the moment. What can you tell us about this new play? Well, what's really interesting is um, Chimerica was this very epic storytelling and it sort of spanned from um, America to China, um, huge political events. And um, and what she's written with the children is that she's done this incredible thing of um, that writers sometimes do, where they go sort of from one extreme to the next. So she's written um, a, a three-hander set in real time in one room, and and I think she talks about it where she says she's literally, you know, she's closed the doors on these characters and locked them into this very small space, and everything happens in real time, um, and so. Uh, the the play starts with um, 
uh, the two women, one of the women lives in this um, in this in this room in this house on on a sort of by the coast somewhere on the east coast of England with her husband and their retired uh, nuclear physicists and um, there's been a natural disaster and um, that has led to the nuclear plant where they used to work down the road going into meltdown and completely out of the blue their friend uh, who they used to work there with turns up and they haven't seen her for 20 years. So with the tension of this space, she's created this, it's this sort of like a thriller at the beginning. You don't know why she's there. You don't know what she wants. And what becomes apparent is that it's a very much about territory. It's very territorial between these two women. And then um, Hazel and Rose, Rose being the friend that's turned up after 20 years. Um, and so the, they're sort of, they're clinging to this fragile normal life or the rituals of normal life when outside you know nature has revolted against them and um and you, to me the place seems very much about ritual and these small rituals that we hold on to in the face of disasters or the, the face of some of the uh, anxiety of the world we live in at the moment um, and so within that, it rumbles with these much bigger questions. She doesn't talk about them directly. She doesn't then uh, until later on in the piece. But essentially, they're asking these much bigger epic questions of how do we live and how do we live with less and um, and how do we take responsibility for the things that we've created because these characters are all in their 60s. How does one generation take responsibility for what they're, what they're leaving the next generation? You've beautifully answered some of my next questions, but there is a sense of urgency in the decisions that these characters make. And as you said, the entire play is set in a small coastal home. But I had a great sense of of imagery and, and the world that exists outside the walls of this shack. I think my imagination ran really wild when I first read this script and a brilliant playwright can do that. How will you evoke what's happening outside uh, from what we can what we can only see in a small set? Well, I think you've just answered it. It's with your imagination, and I think that's what is so brilliant about what Lucy's written and what we're realising designing it is that it's much more powerful that, for that stuff to exist in the viewer's imagination rather than literally um, try and illustrate it. Um, and so... Um, sometimes it's about creating a tension within the space where what lies outside it is unknown and is for your imagination to fill in what is there. The minute you try to, well, it's like any sort of thriller or mystery, the minute it's revealed, um, it's never quite as it appeared in your mind. Mm-hmm. It is a, a three-hander and the characters are very different Rose is this kind of drinking, smoking, I wouldn't say reckless, but she's she's very different in her approach to life compared to Hazel, who is practising yoga every day and um, really concerned about the holistic well-being of her and her partner, Robin. Robin fits somewhere in between the two, would you say that's right? Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about each of these characters? Well, I think what she, what Lucy's done very cleverly is that she's she she's written a play about how we live our lives and what the right way to live is and what the right way to die is, I guess, and um, and she's she's created a wonderful triangle between three incredibly different personalities and approaches to life. Um, 
And so the tension between the two women is wonderful because they have both lived, they have lived and lived their lives in total opposition to each other. So at times you can actually see the slight envy of longing to be the other, um, longing to actually be able to kick off your heels and not worry about it. And, and, and the other, you know, with Rose longing for some of Hazel's ability to roll up her sleeves and commit to the world around her and to the, uh, one of them, Hazel's had children, Rose hasn't. So everything about their choices in their life are opposite, um, which creates great, great tension between them. And Robin, um, which is Hazel's um, husband, is a is a, a big hearted man. You know, he, he loves hard, he drinks hard, he, he, he's very engaged and very, very generous. And he sort of sits between these two women um, as a wonderful kind of point of difference or... But it, it's really fabulous. It's like music, you know, it's like having three completely different instruments and they just together bounce off each other. And being played by, I have always wanted to see Pamela Rabe and Sarah Pierce in a play together and it's like the roles were written for them. And William Zappa's a beautiful, beautiful performer and um, I just think they're going to have such a great time together and it's going to be one of those pieces to remember, I think, when you see actors of that calibre in with in a play with writing this good. Definitely. Yeah. Well, it is your first production for 2018, so I'm sure you're going to hit the ground running with it. Can you tell us, just to finish off, Sarah, what is unique about your rehearsal room? Um, I'm not too sure. I just, I think the th- unique thing is I always, I don't know whether Sarah Pierce has ever, I've ever, she's probably one of the only people I haven't been able to get up on the dance floor, but we do a bit of dancing. Um, but we're definitely going to have to do some dancing in this play. So, um, but really I like to set up in the rehearsal room from day one, a spirit of adventure and the fact that we are getting in a boat together and we're going to see if there's land on the other side. This podcast is part of the MTC Talk series. To listen to more episodes, visit mtc.com.au or search for MTC Talks in the iTunes Store or on SoundCloud.